Welcome to URI's podcast series, a podcast proposed by the Armament Industry European Research Group. So welcome to the third episode of ARIS's new podcast series, a new format to encourage fresh strategic thinking in the field of European defense industrial policies. In this new episode, we will continue discussing the post-Ukraine defense budget increases and their impact on the European defense industry. After Netherlands and the UK, we will today look at the case of Sweden. For this, we have the pleasure to welcome Per Olsen, Project Manager for Defense Economics and Material Supply at the Swedish Defense Research Agency. Thank you, Per, for accepting our invitation. Thank you for the invitation, Gaspar. You're welcome. So without transition, let's start with the first question. What is the impact of the Ukrainian war on Sweden's defense budget? Will it evolve in quantitative and structural terms? And if so, how? So Sweden uh, started to increase its defense budget already after Crimea, in Crimea the annexation of Crimea in 2014. Uh, but the war, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine has significantly accelerated this process. Uh, so uh, since the invasion on the 21st, 4th of February, um, Sweden reacted quite strongly and immediately. Uh, and already on the 10th of March, the previous government, uh, the previous social democratic government, announced that they would move towards 2% uh, of GDP in defense spending. And they announced that this would, uh, so, so, so as soon as possible was the formulation. And then they left it up to the armed forces to identify when that would be. And the armed forces returned with an answer shortly after that. Yes, this would be in 2028. Since then, we have had an election and we have a, a new um, moderate-led uh, right government. And uh, they have pushed this timetable uh, a bit back. So uh, now they, they aim for 2026 to reach 2% of GDP. And um, the armed forces has judged this possible, but that is partly due to inflation. So, so as I said in the beginning, this is both a continuation of a process that started already back in 2014, uh, where when Swedish defense spending was at an all-time low, both in, in terms of share of GDP, we were down at 1% or even below 1% of GDP. Uh, but um, after the legal annexation of Crimea, it increased quite significantly. And uh, from about 5 billion uh, euro in 2014, we're now up to, uh, by the time we will reach the goal of 2%, uh, we're discussing roughly around 13 billion euro. That's, so it's almost three times as much um, and twice the share of GDP. So it's a, it's a significant increase overall. And, and as I said, not caused by the invasion of Ukraine, but accelerated by it. And you can ask, well, is this connected to NATO? You know, the 2% being a NATO goal and, and we're not just not yet a member officially. Uh, but um, no, I would say that this discussion about 2% preceded our uh, application to the alliance. It's an overall investment, so it will increase uh, across the board. Uh, but uh, I think it's a lot will be on modernization of equipment. So the, the share of equipment will actually increase. Perfect. Uh, it's a good transition for the next question. So thank you first for these clarifications. Um, let's talk about capability priorities. Could you tell us um, 
more precisely what are the major capability priorities that um, Sweden has identified uh, before or also after the war in Ukraine. And um, would you say that priority is given to long-term planning or more to um, filling capability gaps quickly? Well, um, as I said, even before uh, this, we, we had um, a five-year plan uh, stretching for from 21 to uh, uh no, sorry, from 26 to 30 and one from 21 to 25, yes. So, um, so the 121 to 25, um, already there we started to fix these uh, capability gaps that we identified. Uh, Sweden, as many other European countries, have, have neglected defence for a long period during the 2000s, and this caused um, some needs that, that uh, needed to be uh, filled. Um, and, um, and mainly in those areas where, uh, you know, th this was the area, the, the, the time of um, international peacekeeping missions. Uh, so uh, a lot of national defense capabilities were scaled back, such as logistics and, and uh, communications you know, and things like heavy artillery. So, yeah, I mean, and this, this trend you can see all over Europe, there was uh, investment in lighter equipment, uh, more suitable to missions in Afghanistan, in, in former Yugoslavia. Um, but this also meant that there, a lot of capability gaps uh, arose in those areas. So I think that, that that was the first thing that we wanted to fix. Um, um, logistics, uh, just the basics of having enough uniforms, shoes, ammunitions um, was priority number one, and then to start and build and modernize. But and when it comes to which, um, I can't say that it's you know if we invest more in in sort of air forces or the um, it, it's across the board. Um, but we ha do have some identified so, sort of strategic. Uh, material domains and that's combat air and underwater mm -hmm. capabilities. So would you say that the, the, the war in Ukraine has um, not changed or slightly changed the um, priorities that were identified already before in strategic documents or it uh, hasn't changed them up at all? It has, I think it has changed something. I, we, we started to talk more about air defense now, I think. Uh, but but um, the, the long-term plans were laid out even before the invasion. I think that the, those also had Russia in mind when mm -hmm. we started planning. So, um, yeah, I think that more resources and perhaps some uh, sort of changed emphasis on certain capabilities. But overall, I think that the, the, the long-term plan mm -hmm. stays ahead. Yeah, and probably um, um, more emphasis is also given to replenishment, like in uh, a lot of um, European countries. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, allocation, um, how much emphasis is given, um, according to you, to the development of cooperative projects at EU level compared to um, off-the-shelf procurement? That's a difficult question, but Sweden has, um, I mean, participates um, in, in several European level uh, corporations. We've uh, taken um, part in several EDF calls, and uh, I haven't done an analysis of uh, how successful we've been in those calls, but I think uh, I've gotten the impression that, that we are participating actively in several and we um, i mean previously participated in horizon and and, and uh, the, the both Pader and uh, ed 
the P. So, so, but Sweden has uh, traditionally a lot of emphasis on national projects, and our previous material. So, uh, sorry, we enacted a new. Uh, material supply strategy. It's just recently uh, sort of published by, by an inquiry, a suggestion to the government uh, to enact a new material supply strategy. The previous material st- supply strategy had a lot of emphasis of off-the-shelf procurement, mm-hmm. although I would argue that Sweden never f- really followed that through. We still have a lot of emphasis on national development because we have a defense industry, uh, which uh, you know we, we need to keep um, keep going and um, I mean those it also uh, co- conforms very well with our own capability needs I mean we can tailor suit a lot of the equipment that we need um, to and from our own industry so in practice I don't see I yeah there was some uh, off-the-shelf uh, procurement during this period and I think that you know if you want to in reaction to Ukraine really quickly uh, ramp up, you have to buy off the shelf. It's uh, you yeah. buy Patriot missiles from the market. You, so it's the time constraints sort of benefit off the shelf purchases. But I think that long-term purchases still, I mean, I'm thinking about what kind of, um, we're talking about development of new surface combatants and, and uh, we're still in the process of buying uh, right now, but that was decided long before. I mean, new combat aircraft and new new submarines and those are national projects. So mm-hmm. I think there's still an emphasis on, on national development projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe to, co- to complete my, my previous question um, about um, coordination with, uh, with other countries, would you say that your country has consulted other European countries um, before planning this new military expenses? And if so, um, what were the, the main reasons behind it? So I would say not to my knowledge. Um, since we, we're not yet the, an, a NATO member, let's see if uh, the Turks will let us in. But um, uh, so I, I think it's mainly been a national process. And as I said, the 2% goal for Sweden was very much a national debate. But of course, we had sort of NATO in uh, the back of our heads when we started to, to discuss this issue. But I think that, it, as I said, it, it preceded our application to the alliance. So um, I, I don't think, uh, not to my knowledge, that we've we've coordinated this. Uh, but it, it might be uh, become more more um, of an of an issue when uh, when and if we are allowed to to join the alliance. That interoperability and economies of scale come comes into question. Yes. And um, in case of um, collective procurement. Um, what would you say um, is the preferred body um, um, for Sweden? Uh, is it um, the EU? Um, is it, I mean, probably not NATO because Sweden is not um, already officially part of NATO, but um, is it bilateral or a multilateral framework, maybe on a regional basis? So as I said, uh, um, since Sweden comes from a long tradition of being um, non-aligned, Mm-hmm. and n- neutral during war. Uh, and I think this is just for, for your, your listeners, important to remember that in order to maintain a, a non-aligned um, policy, we had to build our own defense industry uh, to not have these dependencies on other countries. And this is the legacy we come from. So that's also the, why, why a relatively small country like Sweden still has a significant uh, defense industrial capability spanning across, I think, several 
market segments, we, we can pr still produce our own combat aircraft, our own submarines, our own surface combatants, um, uh, artillery. Uh, I mean, we, we buy tanks off the shelf but, but, and, and helicopters, but I mean, overall quite um, a broad scope. So uh, this is so that is our preferred method. It, it has been traditionally uh, national. However, uh, during the two thousands, when we scaled back, uh, it, it became necessary for Sweden to work together with other nations. And uh, I used to say that, well, if you lift uh, uh, the lid on, on a, a Jas Gripen, for instance, our combat aircraft, you will see that, well, yes, it while it is Swedish designed and Swedish produced, a lot of the components and subsystems are imported. And I think that that is um, how we have become more internationalized. We see foreign ownership, uh, for instance, increasing in Sweden during the 2000s. So yes, we have become more um, sort of integrated in a wider. But it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's particularly uh, European uh, or transatlantic. It depends. I, I think that Sweden spans. We stand on both these two legs. Um, so yes, we have taken part in several European uh, cooperations, as I mentioned, and, and continue to do so. But the transatlantic link is also very important for Sweden, highly important, I would say. Um, both, um, well, transatlantic to use the US, but also the Anglo-Saxon cooperation with with the UK, um, strategically important for for Swedish defence industry and. And cooperation is often driven by the uh, industrial firms themselves. They have links uh, um, bilaterally uh, to to both European and um, transatlantic um, links and to, to US firms. And so uh, I think it's also driven by that uh, industry initiatives uh, so, but yeah, when it comes again, uh, you know, priorities is, is I think that we stand on both legs, and you can see that in the Swedish attitudes towards the EDF, we were very much pro third party participation, and and mm. generally also when it comes to uh, the most European corporations. The perfect transition for the last question, and mm. thank you for reminding us these key elements of uh, Sweden's defense policy. Um, the, the last question is about um, um, the, the new um, initiatives on joint acquisition at EU level, and I'm referring to um, um, EDIPA, among others. Mm. Um, do you think that EU programs on joint acquisition should allow uh, non-European equipment acquisitions and uh, participation of third parties? <clears throat> so, um, Again, then from a Swedish perspective, if we just take that, I my qualified guess would be that we very much would uh, like to see um, uh, non-European uh, participation or possibilities for, for acquisition of uh, non-European equipment in such programs. That's my guess, to, you know, uh, going from where we have uh, our previous positions on this. Um, and and from a Swedish perspective, this makes sense. Um, uh, as I said, we we have a lot of, and I think many European countries have a lot of subsystems uh, that are are heavily um, sort of uh, transatlantic. Uh, and uh, uh, I know that m many of the European countries are 
sort of having the discussion of ITAR free. And I don't think that discussion is as pronounced in Sweden. We haven't really encountered the same problems as um, to my knowledge that other European countries have faced, you know, with, with the US um, sort of, uh, well, my impression when I interview European defense companies is that uh, they want increased transparency of the ITAR rules to, to, to sort of be able to adapt to them while still understanding why the ITAR rules exist. Um, but uh, it, it's still this move, I think we discussed, I mean, uh, and uh, you at Iris have, have written at length about strategic autonomy and the strive towards increased competitiveness and integration and reduced fragmentation and duplication. And I think there's a so from a European perspective, uh, if I sort of switch hats and see this from a European perspective, well, uh, perhaps it makes less sense. Uh, sort of, it's European money, it's uh, European investments, and I understand the the uh, um, will to have uh, this go towards the European uh, defense industrial, uh, technological industrial base. Of course. So it, it, it from a European perspective is more of a double-edged sword, but from a Swedish perspective, I absolutely think that um, it would be preferred to have mm. that option. Please. And I can also say that from for, sorry from a wider perspective, also that we we, we have to understand that the US is still leading uh, uh, the defense industrial development in most respects, and I think that that their current competition with China will only sort of increase that. The, the, so I think that uh, European. Um, if we want to do something uh, real and if we want to maintain sort of strategic autonomy, I uh, think that the investments required for that will be quite steep. Great. Um, thank you very much for these very um, enlightening uh, elements. It um, well, was great uh, talking to, to you and to have you uh, on this podcast. So thank you very much, Per. Thank you. And uh, of course, thank you also to all um, our listeners and um, see you soon for a new episode of Aris's podcast series.